Maybe big data has gotten too big. Whether you're a B2B marketer or a consumer brand, your data needs to be viable, relevant, and accessible so that Starista can help you retain customers, acquire customers, and make it personal. Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista. Probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Vin, the producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market. And we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Kevin Tate, CMO of Clearbit, joins AJ and Vincent this week. He talks about how B2C and B2B are becoming similar yet remain different, and how there is a need to understand a target market. Vincent welcomes AJ back, and AJ takes his win in fantasy football. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, coming off a fresh haircut early in the morning. But you already, you already know that about me. Every 10 days, keep it high and tight, ladies and gentlemen. Can't say the same about my co-host, but we'll get to him in a moment. But welcome to the show. Let's talk about Starista for just like 10 seconds. That's all. We don't take any advertising on the show. We just talk about us for 10 seconds. You could deal with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Starista, we are a marketing technology company. We own our own business to business data, business to consumer data. We utilize our technology to push to that data for our customers to help them get new customers. We own our own DSP, our own ESP. Email me. Vincent at Starista.com. That is how confident I am. I just gave you my email address. And boy, do you listeners use it for a lot of things, mostly to sell me. Stop doing that. But anyway, you have questions for me. You love the show. I appreciate it. And thank you so much also for coming up to me at trade shows now. And about a couple of you, a handful each time, being like, I love the show. I appreciate that. What a nice feeling that is. Also, another nice feeling. I'm a little mad at this guy for a little bit, my co-host. I appreciate that he's joining us. He's hot off CES, hot off a flight from CES. But I've got a bone to pick with him because of fantasy football. You've heard us talk about it. There was a big announcement about it. Ladies and gentlemen, he didn't get a haircut for the show, but I did. Our co-host, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's up, AJ? Vincent, I, I wasn't going to bring up fantasy football. I was going to let you kind of, uh, you know, simmer over it for a couple more weeks before I mentioned it. Well, I don't believe you because I I know you for a long time and I know I could tell in your face if you're watching us on YouTube, you could see the smile. He's like the Joker. He's like the Joker right now, <laughs> smiling. So let me tell you what happened. Now, AJ has never played fantasy football in his entire life. And he reads a book on it. Who does that? My CEO does. And he is in the championship with me, a past winner. I think I've won four championships. Some may say the Tom Brady of fantasy football, uh, minus the divorce. I love you, honey. You're, you don't listen. I know you don't. Anyway, um, but AJ is in the finals with me. Now, and again, I want to say this, and I want to preface this by saying fantasy football doesn't mean much. It's not real life, right? What happened in the Bills and the Bengals game to that young man, DeMar Hamlin, our thoughts are with him by the time, you know, there's already been positive, uh, you know, outcomes of how his health is, is uh, returning. And by the time this podcast comes out, we all hope that he is back to normal and awake. So with that being said, AJ and I were going into the final night. I was down by 15 points. 
AJ had Joe Mixon. I had Jamar Chase. Now, the first few, you know, you saw like a big pass to Jamar Chase. I'm like, all right, Burrow's going to go to him all night. And then tragedy strikes, unlike we've ever seen in the sport of football or any sport. And the game is canceled. No problem. So recently they deemed AJ the victor. Is there? Yes. So they, he it technically was ahead of me. And they, you know, the game they canceled. So yes, AJ is our champion. So congrats to you, AJ. I had suggested, hey, why don't we split the winnings? But he said no. Why don't we also play week 18? The true test of a fantasy football guru is trying to figure out what players or what games mean something. But I concede, ladies and gentlemen. Is there an asterisk? Maybe. But I concede. So congratulations. Hopefully it's not. Just you know, Winston, I, I don't make the rules. The NFL commissioner makes the rule for the fantasy leagues too. So I'm just doing what you guys uh, told me to do, following <laughs> all the NFL rules and fantasy rules. So but, I accept the win. <laughs> yes, I, I, and I have, uh, a, I have a trophy, uh, a small trophy for you that I'm going to bring you when I'm down there in January. <laughs> January how, how small are we talking it's uh it's 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 you can, it's also something you can use we'll talk about it on the podcast right. at a later date but i do have a a, a an award for you and um, it doesn't it's not your middle finger no no it is uh, it is not <laughs> never i would never would do that but no hat, hats off to you i'm just happy that after all these years 16 years of talking to you about football you now know it so that's the happy part win or lose you're a fantasy footballer for life now, I feel like. So congratulations. But AJ, let this is the first episode that you are on, uh, you know, recording for the new year. I had to do one That's when right. you were when you were out at CES. Yeah, you're just doing the duty as a CEO and being at CES. So this is our first one together. And this is an exciting one. This is, uh, you know, because we have a lot of mutual friends in common with this guest. He is a fun guy. You're gonna. I love this guy already. You know, I'm like, when are we getting a beer together? I'm coming out there to Portland because there's like 718 little breweries, and New York City just has Brooklyn Brewery, which is good. But anyway, so we have a lot of great friends in common, and this company, Clearbit. You've been hearing a lot about them. We know them here at Starista. I'd love to get a warm marketing stir. Welcome to the CMO of Clearbit. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Tate. What's going on, Kevin? Hey, guys. How's it going? Going well. And better for AJ than for me. But Yes, it's... yes. First, congratulations on your victory, AJ. Congratulations. Ah, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the smiles. Did I say I liked Kevin? I don't know if I like him anymore. No, I'm kidding. Kevin, it's, it's great to uh, see you. Great to be talking to you. A lot of great mutual friends together, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, a lot of connections in the marketing world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike Hiltz, Matt Hickman, uh, Tim Price. Let's name them. Let's see if yeah. they listen to the podcast and respond back. Let's give them a test here, Kevin. So <laughs> let's get right into it because Clearbit, you know, we, we at Starista know them. Great company, but I would love to have the marketing stir world get to know you. Talk to us right off the bat, Kevin, what Clearbit is your role as the CMO, obviously people know what CMOs do, but really, you know, what your day-to-day -day is there. 
Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having me. Uh, big fan of the podcast and super fun to be here. It's kicking off the year, so thank you. Um, so Clearbit's a B2B intelligence platform. So we have data about every company with a website, and we make that data along with the platform to put it to work uh, available to, uh, to B2B teams. Usually it's like the combination of the uh, operations and marketing team that will use the data uh, and then use our ability to use that. You know, you can target better and personalize better and do all the things that make for better pipeline. So that's Clearbit. Uh, and yeah, fortunate to work with I don't know, 1, 1,500 companies uh, and learn a lot by working with all those, those, uh, uh, those, those teams. Uh, I'm the CMO. And um, so what that means at Clearbit uh, means I have the uh, content team, which is creating all, you know, the blogs and the site and the, and uh, I'm fortunate, you know, I joined Clearbit about uh, coming up on two years ago and the content team at Clearbit has been so prolific for so many years with eBooks and guides and really was early on in the data-driven marketing uh, trend and the growth marketing trend. So the content's a big part of what we do. And then I have the demand team uh, and I have the product marketing team. So that's my, that's my world. Nice. And Kevin, talk to us about how you got started in marketing. A lot of people at different paths. This is one of two of our kind of signature questions here at the Marketing Stir. How'd you get started? Was it like I studied marketing and here I am? Or was it like <laughs> I was a philosophy major, I loved playing yeah. hockey sack, and then here, here I am? God, well, so... So I fell in love with the internet in college. It was 94 when I was about to graduate. And I was like, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I was like, I want to work on the internet, the internet, you know, the browser that th this stuff was just kind of coming along. So as I started working on the internet, I found myself being uh, like a solutions consultant. I was the guy at the whiteboard, you know, back then it was like, you know, sites like Pathfinder and Sony and these companies, J Crew, they're building their first websites. And I was like, here's how you're going to build websites and here's how they're going to work. And I really liked that part. Like, how do you explain the story of how the technology is going to, uh, you know, create something new? And uh, so I, I was in the uh, solution consultant and sales world for a while. And then when I moved to Portland, which was almost 20 years ago, um, I saw an opportunity to actually do marketing and working as a, what they call an industry marketing manager is basically a product manager for the retail segment for this company, Unicrew. And that was my first like official marketing job. And I really liked it. Like it brought for me the, the, the sort of uh, solution and product marketing side of it was pretty familiar. And then figuring out how do you, you create the messaging and the story and the market engagement around that um, was, uh, was really drawn to it. And, you know, it keeps you close enough to the sales side that you're, you're close to customers and you're close to where the sort of product meets the market, but you're also working with the product and the technology side on what are we building and why? So yeah, uh, here I am kind of 20 years on and, and I've gone back and forth. I've had sales and marketing, um, as a part of my remit uh, a few times and I, I enjoy both, but, uh, really drawn to the marketing side. Can tell us a little bit about your current marketing strategies? What are some of the channels that are working for you? Well, uh, timely question, um, right? I mean, things have changed, right? Um, and uh, what's interesting, though, we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out what what really changed and what and and what um, kind of stayed the same, and then what are we still measuring and figuring out? So um, the things that we have shifted over the last quarter. Um, we're spending a little less 
money and focus on top of funnel. So we were you know, casting a lot of um, uh, a wide net around awareness and let's we we have we created a um, distinction we called MELS marketing engaged leads and we we're really focused uh, in the early part of last year on create lots and lots of MELS and um, I think in a you know in a in a high growth market and a in a frothy kind of market you can feel like well a lot of those people are just gonna you know find their way to opportunities and pipeline. Um, as that shifted, and I think as buyers got more cautious and you started to see longer sales cycles, what we did was shift more toward the mid-funnel focus. So we still do stuff around awareness and the type of funnel, but we really focused in on the type of content that to us signals someone is now thinking about Clearbit and trying to figure out how would I actually use this and how would I build a business case and, and is it right for me? So, you know, how-to articles and guides around how to use Clearbit's data or platform to achieve certain things, how we fit with partners and how and how you can put those together in your stack. So we've kind of shifted our focus more to, to mid-funnel. Um, and, it's, and it's been, you know, one of the nice things about clear bit is you have a lot of data and instrumentation to work with. So we can see pretty quickly the effect that's had on our pipeline and our, uh, you know, MQL to SQL to um, sales accepted opportunity and so on. Kevin, speaking of data with privacy concerns uh, on the rise everywhere, how have consumers' privacy expectations been changing in your view? It's a good question. So, it, the, you know, there's the consumer side and then there's the B2B side. And I, I think those are getting closer together. You know, I think they're still a little different. Um, but I, it's funny. I had an experience recently on the on the consumer side that sort of raised raised eyebrows for me. I went to a friend's wedding where uh, WhatsApp was the like communication method, you know, all the coordination and all the stuff. It was great. And I hadn't really used WhatsApp, at least not in a long, long time. And um but what surprised me was that as people shared photos from the wedding and all these things on WhatsApp, they automatically went into my iPhoto library, which is, of course, shared with a bunch. And like for me, that was like, you know, you have these sort of privacy ahas. I was like, whoa, this thing, this, this things that people shared that I don't know went right into my iPhotos, which is kind of an interesting privacy. So anyway, there's. There's things like that that I think sort of raise awareness. And on the B2B side, I think we're seeing that around, obviously, cookies and around PII and around contact information. Um, and so I think the landscape is starting to change faster in perception, whereas before, maybe the policies were changing, but people weren't really seeing the effect, right? People are having those kind of aha moments. What it means from a, from a clear bit perspective is we're seeing more companies come to us or companies like us and say, hey, I've got to get my data house in order. Like I, I've I, maybe before I didn't really think about it that much. And I kind of relied on whatever the you know ad targeting platform was or third party cookie capabilities. I'm sure I can find what I need to know whenever I need it. And that's just not the case as much anymore. And so they're coming to companies like us and saying, I need to understand my companies. I need to understand my target market, my ICP. How do I, how do I create a data foundation? And so that's pretty exciting, you know, to see that awareness driving a, a data foundation understanding and need and urgency. And so uh, that's something we're paying a lot of attention to. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for that breakdown, Kevin. I wanted to, something you said, you know, you, you think nowadays it's like 
you started in 2021, right? So now you get hired as the CMO of a company right in the smack middle of the pandemic, right? What were, you know, your thoughts? What did you have to, what were you faced with? What did you have to change? What were some challenges in the beginning? Oh, that's a good question. Um, It was, it was really different ramping up in a totally distributed company, right? So Clearbit's entirely distributed. Uh, we still have a, we maintain you know, a physical address in, in San Francisco, but there's there's not an office. Everyone is over, and like in the marketing team, I have people in Canada, I got people in Spain, I got people in Germany, it's all over the place, which is amazing. There's all kinds of advantages to that. Starting with a company where there's no physical center of gravity was different, right? And I found that, you couldn't do, you couldn't do the equivalent of, well, I'm just going to go, you know, sit in the lunchroom and see who comes by and meet people and talk to people and just sort of steep in it. You know, you can't, you can hang out on Slack and you can do things. So part of it was just how do you get your head and into the rhythm and the cadence of that. Um, And then I found that with my teams, actually having three or four different teams, figuring out how to establish, um, what are the what are the cadences? What are the the norms? What do we, you know, what do we celebrate? What do we laugh about? How do we track our work? All that had to be created a little bit more virtually. And I was fortunate to step into uh, a team, uh, Nick Wentz, who was running the the marketing team. It's very well organized. It created a great uh, a great culture and um, um, and and uh, and uh, speed around the work. But figuring out how to to join that and then extend that was really interesting. And it, you know what? It made me appreciate my um my sister's a teacher, and uh, she was teaching uh, grade school kids during the pandemic, and and uh, and still does. But when they moved to Zoom, you know that was such a big challenge. And I think in the same way, now that we've been uh, distributed and using Zoom for, for day in day out. There's some things I think we're all still learning about just how do you hold people's attention, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you keep it engaging? How do you not take for granted that, well, because I'm your boss and I'm standing here in the room with you, you're going to pay attention to me, right? It's a little different. And so uh, I'm, I feel like I'm learning things about just different ways of presenting information, different ways of, of trying to bring people together and explore ideas. And some are really working. And then some like, I just haven't figured out how to recreate the whiteboard. Like mm. I, I have there's one, there's one right there off camera and I very rarely drag it over. Cause it's just, it's not quite the same not as the same. we're all around the whiteboard figuring something out together. So I haven't figured that one out yet. And I think I've tried every virtual whiteboard thing mm. there is. So let me yeah. know if you find one. No, you know, I agree with you. Cause I remember being on some things where a person gets the whiteboard and they're like, Oh, just make sure you, you put a pin on me and my screen. And I'm like, it's not the same. Yeah. And, it's close, uh, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah it's not yeah, there, yeah. but it's like, yeah. you know, well, well, I like what, what zoom did, you know, zoom is part of the vernacular, right? It's, it's, it's become yeah. like a Kleenex, right? There's other types of video conferencing out there, but it, it, it's made, remember before this, Kevin, obviously you, you met people in person, but before it would just be a, a conference call number that yeah. you joined into, or you yeah. just, or you just call them. I, I like this aspect of it. And you're right. Like keeping people's attention because you could just not share your camera. You can go get a cup of coffee. 
and, yeah. and, and come back and then you're, you know, CEO, he or she's still talking. You can't do that when you're in front of them. But, you're yeah. so right. It's funny. I, and I had, I think I'd taken that for granted. And then in December I was on a call. I can't remember. If, I think it was a partner call and most people had their video off and I think, and were dialed in by phone. And it was the first time in a long time. And it was a really different vibe, yeah. right? And and I mean, like, I immediately was like, oh, sweet. I'm just going to do email, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, wait, yeah. you know, like, wait a second, you know? And so there's something about this that we're all still learning yeah. what what's great and what's terrible, you know? So yeah. Exactly. I think, well, AJ, our CEO, you, AJ, from the beginning, were kind of like and share your camera we want to see and i think it was more of not like let's see what they're doing it was more of like a let let's just see each other and, and see yeah. each other's face and i think that was uh that that was big yeah i think we're still a big you know uh believer in that well um, some some of our engineers uh, uh don't say a word in the best of days when everybody's in the office so i was legitimately concerned that uh <laughs> some of the single engineers that had not seen a person in 30 days. <laughs> yeah, I know. E even four years ago, they haven't seen people. And, and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, a different story there, right? Kevin, yeah. I want to talk to you about like this time, right? So you look at, you know, in your role, I, I felt like, and, and I'd love to get your opinion on it. People, in the last few years, it's been in companies more now. Yes, growth is big. And people need growth. You need to generate revenue. You need to grow year by year. But I feel like customer relationships have really increased. I think that's become mm -hmm. more important. Customer relationships, customer retention. What mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? I think you're absolutely right. I think, and I think there's a couple of trends that that suggest that's going to keep going. I think one is, and you know, you could pick your, you know, B2B buyer journey has changed backdrop. But the reality is for the way the technology has changed, access to technology has changed, the tools have changed. Customers can get a lot of what they technically need, I think, whether it's, you know, in the buying process or even support process, they can do it a lot themselves, right? At least they should be able to if that's how, you know, companies are setting up. So the role of the, of the salesperson and then the customer success person isn't like, I'm a human modem getting you access to the information you need. You can probably get it. Their role has become more and more like, no, I, you want to work with me. I understand what you're trying to do. And I'm actually adding value because I can help translate that into what I know about our products. And if that's not the case, then you see that very quickly. You know, it's like, you're just in the way. Let me just use the help section. And so I think it, it's changed to me, kind of back to that, like coming from the solution engineering side of things. I like to think, every salesperson and every customer success person is really a solution engineer in a way, right? That's, that's probably one of the most valuable things they're doing. Um, and, you know, to put that in the, in the clear bit perspective, there are so many things that companies can and do use our data and use our, our platform and APIs for, which is great, but also can be challenging because, Every company might be plugging into a little bit different stack and they might be using our enrichment data or reveal data in a different way, or they might have a different way of using our audiences to automate their go-to-market. So we have to really understand what the context is and how they're using it and how we can help them use it. And so 
that solutioning part has become a much bigger part of the way our customer success team thinks about the way they work with customers, right? Then you got to have that context or you're not necessarily adding value. Kevin, AI is one of the topics that's pretty hot here at Starista in our industry in general. And from what we understand, ClearBit is utilizing AI to provide better customer care. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, boy, AI has gotten really interesting, huh? Like all oh, this generative yeah. stuff has, uh, it's, it's, it's really, I did a um, quick, quick aside, we did a uh, 12 days of thought leadership blog series just before the holidays, uh, which was fun to contribute to. And I ended up digging into chat GPT as a part of mine. And I put some props in there around, you know, you know, make me lists of marketing things. I was pretty surprised at how good the content was. And so I think um, the, and, and now a lot has come out about the way things are shifting there. Um, so two things around AI and then maybe part of what I'm excited about. The main way we use AI today is to improve the precision of our company data and our ability to recognize companies. So a good example is um, one of the key things that, that ClearBits uh, quite good at is based on the IP address and where someone is coming from, knowing what company they represent, right? Which is super helpful because you know, like, oh, it's this company. So show them the midsize case studies and show them, oh, they're a current customer, treat them like we know them, et cetera. Um, and the precision of that IP resolution is driven by machine learning where every single time somebody comes to any of the sites that uh, help feed our our systems, we're learning, oh, that's actually this person from this address, even if they're working from home, et cetera. So AI has really helped us do things like understand the companies people are, are representing, even if they're working from home. So that has been a, a big key piece of it. To your question, I'm super interested in how we could use things like generative AI to help create more content coming from customer interactions. Like really, any customer interaction could become a support center article, right? Or could become something that other customers can leverage. That's always an onerous and, and time-consuming creation process. And uh, what I've seen of, of some of the generative AI stuff is it's really good at getting that 90% of the way, right? Like someone can literally sort of edit and publish that article. Um, what I'm curious about from a marketer's standpoint is how it's going to change the balance of like content development and SEO. Like, I feel like for years, the, the balance of power has been, all right, I have to spend money to write articles about the things that my customers care about. And then I have to make them SEOable so that when they search for those things, people will find us and I get the organic traffic. And but part of that equation is it costs me a significant amount of time and money to create good content that's relevant to my people, to my audience. If suddenly I can create near infinite content with very little expense, that's very powerful. That's gonna mess with this balance of power, right? I mean, why not create 30 versions of every help article for every different you know, customer or job to be done and let, and let them be indexed in case they come up? So I think that's going to the supply demand, if you will, of the, the content and SEO game is about to change a lot. I'm curious to see how marketers use that and hopefully don't abuse that to just create a glut of content. So we'll see. 
That's a pretty cool use of the uh, IP resolution technology, Kevin. So it's uh, like drinking your own champagne. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, and you know, it's not always obvious too. So we launched a product recently uh, called Capture, which is kind of cool, lets you find key buyers for people who are coming to your website. And when we launched it, you know, we did the usual stuff. We had ads about it and we had a blog post about it. And uh, and then we were pointing people to a landing page and, and, uh, and more detail about it. So we set up what we call an audience to see who came to the landing page and then we could, using the IP resolution, basically grade those companies against our different markets and ICPs and segments. And so in, in this, you know, it gave us a new way to look at who's responding to this launch messaging, not just, uh, you know, by the numbers or by click-through rates, but which audiences seem to be responding to them and what types of companies and how do I look at that by technology or by region? And it was, it's just a lot richer way to understand who's engaging with you. And then you can decide what you want to do with them. Oh, and I want to follow up with these on sales, or I want to you know, do more advertising to these because they seem interested, but they're early in the funnel. So it just gives you a lot more context to manage your pipeline if you actually know basically every company that's engaging with you. Even uh, obviously using content in a way where you're uh, customizing who's seeing what is pretty awesome. But at the end of the day, there's some limiting factors in terms of how much content to generate. Uh, so I'm just curious, what is kind of your ideal customer profile look like and who are you writing your majority of your content for? Mm, good question. So um, we... We tend to, so I, I break them in two parts. There's sort of the, the company technographics, you know, size and you know, all those things. And then there's like the buyers and their jobs to be done. I kind of like to break it up that way. The buyers and jobs to be done side is almost always someone at the center of um, marketing and um, revenue operations. You know, they've, maybe it's a demand marketer, maybe it's uh, the website owner, maybe it's the marketing operations uh, or even sales operations, but those, those are our people. And, um, and what's interesting is on the company technographic side, we really do work with companies of all sizes. You know, we've got, you know, companies with, you know, more than a hundred thousand employees and, and big, big companies where we're working in, you know, usually inside a certain division with a certain product and all the way through. And we do a lot of work in the like, 100 to 1000 company segment, do a lot of work there in the mid market. And then we've got a lot of companies that are very early, right? You know, they're, they're under 50 employees, they've got their series, they are building that go to market foundation. So that's all good. We like all of them. But what we find is to your question, the, the buyers and the titles and the sort of jobs to be done change pretty significantly based on where companies are in their evolution. Um, with the smaller companies, Clearbit is often like the first sort of smart stack thing they buy. And so they're just getting started, right? And they're just, you know, building their ICP and they're just getting going. And then in the middle, they probably have five or six things in their stack, you know, and then, oh yeah, well, we use this for chat and we use this for email and we use this for website personalization and here's where Clearbit fits in and, you know, makes them all better or whatever. And then at the high end, it's, you know, it gets super specialized, right? You're working with the data team and all that stuff. So it certainly keeps it interesting, but we that, we try to think about that landscape of company maturity and size and then buyers and jobs to be done as sort of the, 
the board game uh, or the uh, the yeah the game board on which we put content to drive awareness, nurture, and then decision. And you know, Kevin, you mentioned you know, I were joking around before about like cookies and and you know, as in a marketer's role, like have you had to shift based on some of the changes in the industry, like the impending recession? You know, are cookies going away? Will they? Yeah. Won't they? I'd love to hear your thought about that. We've so. One, it's nice at Clearbit, we have our own um, advertising and tracking piece that doesn't rely on cookies. So it relies on this IP resolution uh, and, on, and on a first party basis. And so it hasn't, it hasn't impacted what we do much. It has brought more companies to us who are saying, I can't rely on third party cookies. I need a first party solution where basically I, you know, I can be placing that cookie and then see when they come. So it's driven a lot of interest in that. I do think it is changing the advertising landscape more quickly than, than people might realize. I think that the, so much of the, the programmatic world has been driven by, you know, Bitstream and, and the ability to kind of easily see into some pretty useful information. I think that is being, that is, that landscape is changing very quickly. So again, what it, what, what is meant for, for us, but I think even more for our clients is, Hey, I kind of have to get in control of this. I need to, I need to have my data. I need to have my view of an ICP. I need to be able to target audiences and measure what they did. I can't, throw that over the wall to my advertiser. Um, so. No, that definitely makes sense. And Kevin, now AJ and I get into just a few questions, get to know you better uh, on a personal level. We have one of our signature questions coming up. Uh, I know AJ will ask, but Kevin, talk to us about, you know, a lot of young marketers listening, a lot of students listening, looking to get into this world. Like, what characteristic that you possess that you attribute to some of your marketing success? What, what do people kind of have that you have and what do people kind of have to also have? Hmm. We get deep here on the marketing. Yeah, no, it's deep. It's deep. These are big (laughs) questions, man. It's early in the year. Um, So, you know, so I think, I think that something that has served me well, going back to those really early, like whiteboard out the website days and, um, is being able to uh, put fairly complicated topics or information or ideas into pictures or into stories that that make them workable, right? Whether you're trying to work them so you can solve them, you're trying to work them so you can sell them, or work them so you can build them, you gotta make it. You gotta make it uh, understandable so that everybody can participate in it. And uh, I think I. I I think I've gotten pretty good at that. Um, as I said, it's kind of changed a bit with the with the virtual. You know, I used to love the whiteboard session, and now that's become more like slides and and ways of looking at things. But I think in the same way, it's a very you know, let's say you're trying to create a a meeting about I don't know which product to build or how to go to market or how you're going to position something. It's a really different meeting if it's just a bunch of people talking. Versus it's a lot of, it's a group of people looking at some kind of framework or picture or template or diagram, some way of organizing the information. So I, I almost always try to have one of those or make one of those. And I find that that 
really helps move things forward and helps give people a canvas to collaborate on, right? And so um, I think that's a really key skill and it can take lots of different forms, but ultimately it's about sort of synthesizing and organizing information in a way that people can do more with it. If that makes sense. Um, I will say, I think another key thing that I remind myself to do more, and I think it's hard to ever do enough of, is just being really curious. Um, being really curious. I, um, I, a, a, I think the best marketers are really curious about why and how customers are using their product, why and how customers are engaging with their company, what it's like to be them. And uh, you, you got to maintain that. Um, and it's kind of cool, you know, that the world now of, of uh, you know, we gong internally, and it's just an incredible resource. But again, you got to stay curious, and you got to make time to really understand what's going on with your customers. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. We, uh, we too use gong. And it's, it's, it's a game changer just to understand also as a, a note taker, a follow up. Yeah, uh, you know, just uh, for new salespeople coming in as a training, it's uh, it's been great. So one of our signature question that we love to ask is around Ooh. LinkedIn. I'm sure you get a lot of uh, junk mail in LinkedIn, and we're curious: what is a mail that gets a response from Kevin, and what's one that really annoys Kevin? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, I, I, and I'm not super active on social, I will say. Um, LinkedIn is the is the platform that I use the most. Um, I uh, I got way in the social world in 2008, 2009, I had a company that was all focused on that in some ways. Kind of, but they um, but I, I am a fan of LinkedIn. So what gets my attention is often, um, frankly, a personal appeal. You know, I, um, when I get someone who is um, seemingly very upfront about like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, get started in my career, or uh, I'm trying to, you know, move more into this direction, or I saw what you did over here, and I'm trying to learn more about it. When somebody's really honest and, and open and even vulnerable in like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing, you know, can you help me or would you be willing to chat? That's hard to say no to for me, you know, like, I feel like that's, um, I like, I like the, you know, call it sort of a mentor appeal um, that that really works for me. And so I think those, I find it hard to just ghost somebody if they're being really honest in that. What annoys me, uh, you know, it's funny, because I think this used to really annoy me. And now I've come to see it as almost like an art form that I appreciate, which is like the humble brag. You know, the like, I am honored and humbled to have been, you know, and then, you know, they go on to talk about this award they won or like, the, and, and like, and and I used to just be like, ah, cringy. And now, like, I again, I kind of come to appreciate it like an art form. You're like, you know, how do you do the perfect <laughs> humble brag, you know, and then so often now it has like animations of fireworks and things at the bottom in some video. So it's a, uh, I feel like that has really evolved to the mm. point where uh, now, now I sort of watch them for sport. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. 
Vincent is a master of it. So now that you guys are connected. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never say humbled. I just say I'm honored, you know. Right, there you go. That's, that's <laughs> the what secret. What else are you going to do? That's yeah, the secret. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. what it, you know, it's so, it is such an interesting forum in which to, yeah, promote yourself or your company, but in a way that doesn't make you seem like it, you know, so anyway. <laughs> uh, Vincent, my uh, fantasy win post will be going up next week. So just well, you gotta, you, there it is. You got to tread be light. humble and honored. Yeah. You got to tread lightly on that one. You got to tread, uh, <laughs> you got to tread very lightly. Cause I will no, I, I, I'll, I'll wait a full week. It's a raw subject. I, well, Cause I will paint the picture for people, you know, <laughs> yeah. down 15 points, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, Come on. Yeah, yeah, this is exactly where a diagram would help frame the conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this exactly. is where you want to put that together. Oh, yeah, I'm throwing one together. I'm going to uh, point it out to people. Yeah, <laughs> I would wait like another week or so. Uh, yeah, I'll let you simmer down a little bit. Oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question from me, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal side. You know, what are some of the hobbies? What do you like to do for fun besides uh, making marketing strategy? Uh, you know, all I do is make marketing strategy all the time. All day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't understand the question. Uh, you know, I, we, I think I mentioned earlier, we moved to Portland 20 years ago, and um, it was a really good move. I, you know, my wife and I both went to school in the Bay Area, and then I worked in Silicon Valley for seven or eight years. And and so moving to Portland is a very uh, deliberate choice. Like, hey, let, let's choose a little bit different path and and uh, and 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 kind of make our own path maybe in a way. So anyway, that, that fit for us. So it's a long way of saying that my, my hobbies today are very predictable Portland. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's biking, beer and board games, mm -hmm. which is pretty much, you know, it's, that's, that's like the triathlon of Portland. Um, so yeah, that's how I, I spend my time. And, you know, these, these winter months are probably a little heavier on the beer and board games, but yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I yet to make my way out to Portland, but all you hear is just like a cool, eclectic place, food trucks, uh, you know, great beer and you know, board games. Yeah, that's that's great in every state. I love that. But uh, I, I could see that happening. So, Kevin, to leave our audience with one final thought, something you want them to take away. The floor is yours. You know, it's it's these are interesting times, right? You know, I, I was, uh, and, and it's hard to know how things have changed, right? I was trying to think of analogy over the break and it's, it's almost like the, what it, it's a movie where what's going on the screen is the same. Like we're all still doing our jobs and signing up customers and creating, creating value. But, but the music has changed. Like the music went from like, everything is awesome to the, I don't know, the shining music or something. And so it's just a different feel. And so it's like, what, what do I do now? Like, how am I, how am I supposed to act? And I, I, my message to myself. And so I think to others would be now's the time to be bold. Like these are, you look back every time when things kind of dip and there's uncertain re recession a year from now, we will look back and say, wow, look at those companies and look at those people who accelerated through the downturn, who created, you know, this is the opportunity, especially if you're a smaller company, especially if you're a growth stage company. And so I think the, the effort and the energy that you apply now actually even makes more of a difference than it did when things were frothy and everybody's going a thousand miles an hour. So be bold, think big, lean into it is, uh, is, is my mantra. So 
Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's a great mantra, great words. Kevin, it's been great spending some time with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the CMO of Clearbit. Check out Kevin. Check out Clearbit. That's Kevin Tate. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That is the fantasy football champion, AJ Gupta. Boy, that hurts. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening. <laughs>